Fired Up show starts right now. And hello and welcome to Fired Up, to our first full official broadcast of the new year, 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, we have a jam-packed show uh, for you today. Um, but first, as always, let's review where we are with our COVID. Uh, we're at 101.2 million cases that have been reported. Uh, 1.1 million people have died from the disease and 660.9 million people have been vaccinated. Now, something to keep in mind, and I'm, I've been remiss in not mentioning this prior to this point, and it's something that should be kept in mind when you listen to uh, reports on the number of cases. Realize that uh, these are cases that are reported through the health information systems and may not include a full accounting of home tests, which uh, you know do not get reported into the primary health system. So uh, the number of actual cases uh, could be much higher. Uh, by some estimates I've heard, it could be by as much as a factor of two. So you know, take these numbers, obviously, with something of a grain of salt, but still, even 101 million people having died from this disease over the, the three plus years uh, that we've been dealing with it is still way too many. Uh, some other news before we get into politics, uh, I want to touch on something. The latest variant that is moving around through the country, and it's called the XBB.1.5 variant of the Omicron virus, uh, is now... Uh, taking over the lead spot in terms of the number of cases that are uh, appearing in hospitals and doctors' offices for treatment, uh, and you know it is uh, a a fast-moving, easily transmittable uh, variant of the virus. Now, on on something of the positive side, uh, it has a tendency, and it has been documented that its symptoms and effects are much less severe than you know any of the prior virus uh, viruses or variants that have come out since the onset of COVID uh, in the U.S. So I guess we have that going for us. But nonetheless, it is still you know a COVID-19 disease variant. It is still worthy of us taking it seriously. You know, and it is bringing back in some locations uh, calls for mask mandates and social distancing and some of the things that we dealt with during the first two and a half years of COVID-19. So the moral of the story is don't put those masks away yet. Protect yourself and your loved ones uh, and your community in the country. Uh, let's do the things that we've heard over the last two years plus and uh, try and keep this newest variant uh, in check as best we can. All right, so it's uh, the beginning of 2023. Um, the uh, politics uh, now, all three branches of our political system uh, are you know, functional and can be operational. And um, unless you are off the planet and out of communication range, you probably have heard much made about the uh, last, or I should say the, the four days of last week uh, and the process for 
electing the Speaker of the House. Now, as you know, um, the leading candidate for Speaker was uh, Representative Kevin McCarthy of California. Uh, that's no secret. It's been, you know, widely um, reviewed and widely discussed in the media and other sources. Well, what transpired last week, in case you weren't paying attention to it, uh, was that the the Congress, uh, the House of Representatives, which is operating with a very slim uh, Republican majority. It's 222 to 212 uh, in favor of the Republicans. Um, had difficulties in securing the uh, election of Kevin McCarthy to the speakership uh, in in a a timely fashion. Normally, and when I say normally, you know, going back across you know the the House of Representatives history. Uh, the Speaker of the House from the majority party has normally been selected on the first ballot. That is, uh, they got the majority of people present and voting uh, to vote for them uh, after just one vote. Uh, while, you know, back in the 1800s, there was one election that went out to 135 ballots, uh, the and that's a hundred year old record. Uh, what we saw last week actually uh, took us to the second highest number of ballots uh, ever needing to be cast in order to uh, elect the speaker. And it ended up being uh, a total of 15 ballots over over five days. Uh, the The final ballot uh, was counted and McCarthy was uh, named as speaker. Uh, in the early morning hours of uh, December, I'm sorry, January 8th. And that uh, came after uh, some really strange controversy that went on with the balloting and voting process. So let, let's kind of highlight a couple of the key things. Uh, what happened with the Republican nomination process is originally there were a group of about 20 uh, hardline conservative Republicans who uh, you know, refused to vote for Kevin McCarthy for speaker. Now, again, he needed to get 218 votes. Uh, he had 222 Republican members in Congress, which means he had... Uh, you know, do the math. He had six votes to give before he wouldn't have the majority and couldn't be elected speaker. Well, they went through um, 13 ballots where he did not achieve that magic number. Um, and as a result of that, and in efforts to, to garner the votes he needed, uh, Kevin McCarthy made a series of uh, promises and deals with his opponents in order to, you know, get their support for him to be speaker. Uh, so that brings us through much of the week where we saw, you know, the the uh, leadership of the party frantically uh, communicating with uh, dissenting members to try and get them on board. Uh, so when it came to the 214th ballot, 
Uh, it, it boiled down to where there were now uh, about a half a dozen uh, or eight or so Republicans who still were not supporting Kevin McCarthy. Uh, on Friday uh, in, in the evening, it appeared that those obstacles had been dealt with and that McCarthy had the numbers he needed to become speaker. So the ballot occurred on the 14th ballot. And I, I happened to be watching it as it happened on, t on television. And what happened was someone, uh, and most of the fingers are pointing to uh, Representative Matt Gates, uh, reneged on their commitment to Kevin McCarthy, which left the vote at 216 votes for Kevin McCarthy, which was short of the number of votes he needed to secure the nomination and secure his position as speaker. Uh, so what transpired, and I'm going to give you a highly edited version of this. Um, there is, there's more than ample coverage of it in the, the media, no matter which side of the, the political spectrum you follow. Uh, essentially, um, the, the bottom line is that there was a commitment from uh, three of the holdouts that they would, uh, you know, vote in favor of McCarthy, um, and they instead voted present. Now, what what that did was basically throw the number off, so that rather than he be able to gain the majority uh, by, I believe, just one uh, vote, which is enough, uh, it ended up being that he didn't reach that majority level and it forced uh, yet another ballot. Now, if you watched the, the, the proceedings at all on the, on the 14th ballot, what you saw was uh, the uh, exhaustion and frustration of the Republican Party uh, with the process uh, and up to an including point where one representative actually confronted Matt Gates and looked like he was going to get physical with it until he was grabbed and restrained and, and dragged away. And Kevin McCarthy was visibly upset uh, by what had transpired. So they went through an exercise of, you know, calling for an adjournment. By now it was, you know, like, 11 o'clock at night and you know you could tell people were tired and, and so forth uh, but instead they managed to hold everybody you know in, in in the chamber and set up another vote uh, McCarthy and Gates apparently came to an agreement where he and the other uh, people who were had, had been holdouts opposing him uh, ended up voting present which, under the, the rules of electing the speaker, uh, takes that number off of the total count required. So what ended up happening is the 216 votes that McCarthy had became enough for him to have the majority and become speaker. So Kevin McCarthy is now speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, the, the drama doesn't end there. Uh, and you know, there are articles in a lot of different sources that talk about this. Uh, one of them that comes uh, from Reuters talks about McCarthy's dream job could become a nightmare. Uh, 
uh, in the article, it cites that, you know, the role could turn into a nightmare because it requires leading a caucus that strongly rejects leadership. Conservatives have regularly excoriated top Senate Republican Mitch McConnell for agreeing to compromises of any kind with Democrats and earlier this week rejected former President Donald Trump's call to quickly fall in behind McCarthy uh, because, you know, it, it was a vote that you know, took so long to get accomplished. Uh, McCarthy's tenacity uh, kind of held a day as he was quoted in saying, you know, he doesn't give up. So he kept pushing, kept working the floor. And, you know, finally they got that done. Um, now, what's interesting is, as I said, and, and I mentioned Congressman Matt Gates, uh, there were, if you were looking at the, the visuals, sitting to his um, left was Congresswoman uh, Lauren Boebert. Sitting to his right was Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. And sitting on the opposite side of, of MTG was newly uh, elected uh, representative-elect uh, Santos, who you know, has his own set of controversies going on. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was interesting and disturbing to watch because particularly Boebert, uh, Gates, and Green were sitting there um, acting like, you know, a, a bunch of bratty children driving their parents nuts while they're shopping in the department store. Um, they actually were reveling in the chaos that, you know, had been created and the mess that had been made of what had usually been a very traditional and pro forma uh, exercise where, you know, the name is put up there, the majority or the entire caucus votes yay, and, you know, they move on to, to start getting business done. So we ended up with a week of watching this infighting going on. And, you know, at the end, we, we come out with McCarthy as speaker. Uh, and, you know, he, in order to secure his position, he gave away uh, some very critical and key uh, powers and promises and authorities. Uh, for example, according to the article on Reuters, uh, he agreed to pursue deep cuts in government spending to achieve a balanced federal budget in 10 years, beginning in October, and promised his hardline critic greater influence on key committees. For example, three of the people who were opposed to him uh, are going to be getting seats on the powerful rules committee, and that is the committee that not only creates and, and manages the rules by which the House of Representatives operate. Uh, they control what votes come get to the floor. You know, there is a range of things that the Rules Committee uh, is in charge of that basically uh, makes them almost co-equal leadership with the Speaker. Uh, he also uh, agreed to reduce the number of Congress people required in order to uh, to issue a, uh, a vote of vacancy, basically uh, to a, what, what we would otherwise call a, a vote of no confidence and removal of the speaker 
from his or her position. Now, what that used to be under the old rules, uh, under the, the 117th Congress and, and back, was that it required five members of congressional leadership to make that move. What it now is being proposed to be is that any member of Congress can call for a, uh, a vacancy vote or a vote to vacate uh, the speaker's chair uh, and basically call for a vote to oust the Speaker of the House. Now, if, if think about it this way. If you've got a job to do and you know somebody is standing behind you with a gun pointed to your head, giving you instructions or telling you to do it this way, or you know, your your life is over. How effective do you think you can be? This is the world that Kevin McCarthy has now inherited. Now he is spinning and saying that it is not a big deal, that you know he can, you know, he is not worried about it. But given what we witnessed over the last four days. I would say if if that is a true statement, then, you know, McCarthy is seriously out of touch with reality. Um, the, the first time that, you know, it, it is politically expedient for the Republicans to to work with the Democrats in order to get something done. And there are some big somethings coming like uh, the debt ceiling and, you know, and others uh, that that need to be voted on and will need to be passed by the House in order to go to the Senate and then on to the president. Uh, if they don't approve of what the House's uh, recommendations are uh, and believe that McCarthy is at the root of that problem, they trust and believe one of them is going to step to the floor and and call for uh, the speaker's chair to be vacated. Uh, and that's going to throw the whole process into turmoil. It is probably going to delay uh, approval of the debt ceiling, which will fatally impact the, the full faith and credit of the United States, which will cause a world economic crisis. Do you see where I'm going with this? Um, so, you know, these are the bratty children who have now been given at least some of the keys to the kingdom. All right. Additionally, um, he uh, agreed to um, some other rules changes uh, in, in terms of, as I said, placing key committee assignments um, with certain Congress people. Um, you know, think about this way. Um, you know, if you you put uh, George Santos uh, gets a seat on the Ethics Committee, for for one example. Or, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene gets to sit on the House Ways and Means. Or Matt Santos gets to sit on, you know, the Armed Services Committee. These are representatives who have shown no compunction with having a burn-it-to-the-ground, scorched-earth mentality in terms of how they govern. They are not interested in leadership. They are interested in power. So... You know, we are we are looking at really a a couple of years of some very interesting, uh, contentious uh, battles, not only between Republicans and Democrats, but between Republicans and Republicans. And that last point needs to be stressed. Uh, a lot of what we will see going forward, I'm 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 making my predictions here, in my opinion. A lot of what we will see 
coming out of the House of Representatives, it's going to be uh, an equal share of Republican-Democrat conflicts uh, and Republican-Republican conflicts. Something to keep in mind that during all the time of the turmoil on the Republican side of the aisle, the Democrats were 100% unified, 212 votes for Hakeem Jeffries to be uh, the Speaker, Speaker of the House uh, on 15 ballots, never wavered. So the Democratic caucus uh, at least showed the, the potential of being a, a solid unified block. The Republican caucus uh, the, the cracks and fractures that we've been talking about for you know, the last five years that ha have appeared in the Republican Party uh, in, in the era of Trump and in the post-Trump era uh, really have become chasms and canyons. Uh, it is clear that the, uh, the MAGA wing of the party, the ultra-right, the ultra-MAGA wing of the party, that these uh, congressional leaders... Um, are totally uh, against what are would be considered more traditional Republican politics. Uh, so we will see what transpires uh, as we go forward, but I'm predicting that it is going to be tumultuous. So you know, we're, we're starting with that. And I think it's important that we keep the memory of what we saw transpire in this past week uh, in our minds as we watch the House of Representatives go forward. Uh, so the, the drama is already beginning, and it should be noted that uh, Speaker McCarthy has wasted no time in bringing forward uh, one of his first uh, actions and uh, what he's going to be leading uh, the Republican caucus in, in going for. Uh, Mother Jones reports on an article that came out over the weekend that McCarthy's day one plan is to gut the Office of Congressional Ethics. So what, what it is, and, and I'll give you a little uh, backgrounder on it, the Office of Congressional Ethics is a quasi-independent organization. It's staffed by professionals and overseen by a board of eight representatives, notably who are not in Congress, with the idea that it can be an efficient expediter of complaints. So McCarthy's plan that is uh, starting to be reported in the media is that he is going to pare down the uh, Office of Congressional Ethics, or OCE, uh, first by uh, eliminating, uh, or, or rather instituting, term limits, which, uh, among other things, is going to serve to term out the Democrats that are on the OCE uh, uh, board, for lack of a better word, um, and primarily just leave it with Republicans. Second, they are going to reduce uh, funding and staffing, uh, and essentially the OCE will be left with uh, one uh, clerk and one investigator to look into uh, any complaints of ethics violations that uh, come forward. And, you know, if you've been paying attention over the last few years, you know there's no shortage of ethics violations uh, that have been created uh, by, you know, not just, you know, Republicans, but Democrats as well. 
The OCE uh, was investigating uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, over a controversial dress that she wore. Uh, they, in the past, have uh, instituted investigations of Maxine Waters and, and other Democrats. Uh, and, you know, as we mentioned, they now have, you know, George Santos to deal with and, you know, his uh, embellishment of his uh, uh, qualifications uh, and, you know, it's highly likely that little, if anything, is going to come of that. Uh, basically, they are uh, removing the policing power uh, over the House and the Senate to, uh, to police, the, police ethics violations. Uh, so, you know, you, you don't have to be clairvoyant to see you know where that's going to lead in terms of what happens with any potential uh, ethical violations that occur particularly in the congress uh, even if they are investigated the office is going to be so overwhelmed with what they've got to do that it is going to delay and extend out the process to make it essentially uh, ineffective um, so you know and this is separate from the the house ethics committee which is comprised of its own members who are tasked to keep lawmakers on the up and up. Uh, and even that body has been notoriously slow to act when it acts at all. Uh, so the, the, the uh, Ethics Committee is actually a, a bipartisan board. It's evenly divided among Democrats and Republicans, uh, which you know by its nature means that there's rarely any consensus and, you know, as I said, the committee has no, notably not acted as frequently as it has ever uh, notably acted. So, you know, and, and this comes as a result of the fact that this committee was set up uh, after a string of ethics scandals under the GOP speaker Denny Hastert's control, intending to be a professional, nonpartisan office that could help the ethics process along. So it is. It is, um, you know, clearly uh, a way of taking away the, the watchdog function uh, for the, the House of Representatives, um, you know, and even if it still does manage to function, uh, it is required that it be uh, reauthorized every time a new Congress is elected and its ability to operate, according to the article in Mother Jones, is defined by a set of rules put in place by the majority party that year. This year, McCarthy's GOP, which uh, is uh, in charge of putting together these rules, you know, and you know, keep in mind and, and put it in the background that all we've heard coming out of McCarthy and the leadership of the Republican Party is, you know, investigating Hunter Biden and his laptop. Uh, investigating the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan and, and so forth. Uh, one of the things that McGar McCarthy said in his uh, speech accepting the speakership was that he was going to uh, investigate the weaponizing of the federal government in, in general and the FBI in particular, uh, something that points directly at the January 6th uh, investigations and like the Mueller report and so forth. So we can expect to see a much weaker approach uh, to uh, ethics uh, accountability 
coming out of the House of Representatives uh, over the next two years. And those term limits I mentioned, uh, even though uh, Minority Leader uh, Jeffries would have the ability to replace uh, those members of the commission that are term limited out, uh, that process would likely take a long time and just serve to further hobble what the uh, committee is capable of doing. Uh, they, the upshot is, and again, this comes from the article in Mother Jones, um, is, and I quote, these are measures that will render the ethics office ineffectual and which no member from either party should support, close quote. And that's from uh, Craig Holman, a lobbyist with the government watchdog group Public Citizen. Today's Republican Party is rife with ethical transgressions, and it is now trying to make it much harder to hold members of Congress accountable to these standards of decency that we expect. Uh, and it, it should be noted uh, that this is not just something that is you know, a, a weapon pointed uh, directly and exclusively at Republicans. As I said, they uh, previously investigated Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, they have uh, looked into uh, Representative Maxine Waters and others. Uh, and so it, it is going to affect both sides of the aisle. And uh, it is something that uh, many uh, of the, the hardline conservative Republicans have wanted uh, basically uh, not just to to hamstring investigations, but to shield uh, these representatives from scrutiny over things that they do. So, you know, this is just another uh, reason why uh, it, it is going to be difficult uh, for the uh, 118th Congress to get anything done. And it won't stop there. Uh, according to an article that came out on January 7th from Reuters, um, the, the uh, Republicans are going to be investigating uh, China and the weaponization, as I mentioned, of the federal government and a bill that could uh, potentially limit abortion care nationwide, uh, another big talking point and big campaign point for Republicans uh, in the 22 midterms. Um, so what, what else we will see? Well, for one thing, um, there's a bill which is uh, going to be looking at uh, U.S. House Republicans probed over the January 6th attack, uh, which, as I mentioned, uh, will lead uh, to an investigation of the FBI, highlights the new rules, and again, this is according to Reuters, uh, highlights of the new rules of the House, which will get a vote on Monday, include a 72-hour waiting period before the introduction of a bill and a vote on it, allowing any member to uh, trigger a vote of confidence in the speaker, that aforementioned you know, uh, motion to vacate. And, you know, again, this is how the House, at least according to the Republican caucus, is going to operate for the next two years. Uh, add into that the, the simple fact that any bill that does manage to, to pass the House of Representatives uh, under Republican control is very likely 
to be defeated in the democratically controlled Senate or face the possibility of a veto uh, from the president, who also is a Democrat. So, you know, we are we are looking at a gridlock of a scale that we have not seen uh, since the uh, the Tea Party and the sequester uh, battles that went on uh, in the early 2000s. As I mentioned uh, just just a moment ago, uh, they are also going to be looking at a health care issue uh, with regard to abortion services and, and medical care. And uh, the, the upshot is that they are going to be working on a bill that would, quote, prohibit a health care practitioner from failing to exercise the proper degree of care in the case of a child who survives an abortion or attempted abortion. Uh, and that bill is also uh, planned on being introduced uh, as early as next week. Um, you know, in, in what that means is, you know, that if a, a, ch- a child uh, is, survives the abortion process and is born, uh, but does not receive proper medical care, that in, in some fashion that is going to be a violation of law. Uh, so, you know, it, we are facing, you know, a, a, a controversial period and, you know, we need to make sure that, number one, um, as, as we always say, you've got to be in communication with your elected officials, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, and, and don't forget that this communication extends all the way down to your state and local level as well, where a lot of this rubber will meet the road. Um, but even for, you know, my Republican friends out there, um, you know, you need to, you know, ask yourselves very serious questions about which of these uh, measures and which of these uh, ideas that are coming out of this Republican caucus uh, in control of the House uh, you genuinely support and make sure that you're letting your feelings be known uh, if, if you agree or disagree and why. So, you know, as always, we want to make sure that we are in communication with our elected officials. Uh, now, uh, of course, you know, the Democratic side, um, you know, in, in terms of uh, McCarthy's election as speaker uh, was, you know, both gracious and magnanimous in, you know, congratulating him. Um, President Biden uh, contacted McCarthy uh, after his after his win and was said was quoted as saying after I said I said after the midterms excuse me I am prepared to work with Republicans when I can and the voters made clear that they expect Republicans to be prepared to work with me as well uh, referring to uh, what transpired out of the midterms Uh, and this thought was echoed by minority leader uh, Jeffries who also said he is you know, and the Democratic caucus is prepared to work with uh, the Republican side of the House on those issues uh, where we have agreement uh, or we can establish common ground. And, you know, we will uh, look forward to working with them uh, in a, a unified manner. Now, that doesn't mean that they are foregoing their role as the minority party in the House 
to exercise, you know, whatever mechanisms they have available when they find themselves in disagreement with the majority uh, party. So, you know, as I said, you know, the, the key word for, you know, at least the start of the next two years, if not the full two year term of the 118th Congress is going to be gridlock. Uh, I, I just cannot see uh, the, the current makeup of the Republican Party uh, being anything but uh, antagonistic uh, and divisive and unwilling to work with Democrats um, in, in any opportunity they have. Uh, and the, the constituents will be the ones to suffer for it. Uh, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed. Uh, it most notably, and we'll talk more about this, um, you know, down the road a piece as, as that becomes more clear. Um, as I mentioned, there is an issue of the debt ceiling, uh, of the United States that is going to need to be addressed. There's also the budget, which the, the interim legislation that was uh, passed and put into place before the 117th Congress ended uh, only runs until next October, at which point budget discussions are going to need to be happening and, and concluded so that a budget for the United States can be passed, voted on, and signed by the president. Otherwise, you know, the, uh, the reality is whether it's the debt ceiling or it's the budget, again, we could see, you know, government shutdowns uh, and, and impacts to, you know, the, 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 the full faith and trust of the United States government around the world, much as we saw uh, transpire or nearly transpire when the, uh, when the Tea Party brought out and um, got the Sequester Act passed. Uh, and for those of you that, that may not remember, the Sequester Act tied any expenditures uh, by the government to an equal and opposite um, amount of budget cuts uh, across the board. And, and there were very few exclusions. Um, even defense spending was not off the table. And defense spending is usually uh, an untouchable item. Uh, when it comes to the budget of the United States of America. But this new Republican Congress has also said that they will be looking at the defense budget uh, as a way of curtailing spending, dealing with the deficit, uh, dealing with you know, our debt limits. Uh, and uh, that uh, has already started to draw uh, some pushback from the military side of the government in terms of, you know, what are they going to be looking at and so forth. So, you know, the battle lines, um, in some cases, literally, are being drawn as we speak. Uh, this is going to be an interesting time period uh, to be alive in America. Now, if you think that running afoul of your party uh, isn't a big concern or it doesn't have a big impact on the position of Speaker of the House, um, I, I refer you back to 2015 when Speaker John Boehner resigned 
as speaker uh, after uh, struggling with uh, the Republican caucus uh, over you know, various issues, including the budget and spending and uh, issues uh, revolving around the sequester and so forth. Uh, and even his successor, Paul Ryan, who was, you know, a, a, something of a frequent target for cons- conservatives, he decided not to seek re-election in 2018 uh, because, you know, then President Trump uh, shifted the party focus from Ryan's fiscal priorities to Im- immigration and culture war issues. So, you know, it it's clear that uh, in in some cases, you know, the the tail tends to wag the dog uh, on the Republican side of the aisle, uh, and we have seen that borne out uh, over you know fairly recent history. Um, you know, and the other thing to consider is uh, McCarthy's record uh, of holding a firm line is something else that has been questioned. Uh, if you recall. After the January 6th insurrection, uh, Congressman McCarthy uh, was one of the the people who stood up and excoriated uh, then-President Trump over his lack of action and uh, incitement, uh, his words, of the uh, January 6th insurrection. Uh, And then, you know, a few weeks later, traveled down to uh, Mar-a-Lago uh, and in a very public display, uh, essentially, you know, swore an oath of fealty to Donald Trump, um, basically, you know, trying to kiss and make up uh, after he realized just what Trump's potential power uh, in, in terms of you know elections in the Republican Party uh, would mean. Now we have since seen, uh, and the the 2022 midterms were a a huge example of that, that over time, over the last couple of years, uh, that perceived power that former President Trump had uh, has uh, drastically been eroded away uh, to the point where many in the Republican Party, um, if not openly uh, going against the former president, are at least not in, in any way publicly or vocally expressing support for his positions or things that he is calling for. So, you know, the the upshot is, you know, the the strength that holds the Republican Party together has seen some very large and noticeable cracks and canyons appear, uh, particularly between the uh, more traditionally conservative uh, Republican Party uh, and the uh, extreme uh, right wing, um, as uh, uh, portrayed by the so-called MAGA Republicans and the ultra-MAGA Republicans and others, uh, which uh, came to something of a head in the election for speaker uh, last week. Uh, just to, to recap uh, a little bit deeper, uh, what we saw was that at the beginning of the process on Tuesday, there were some 20 uh, or more Republicans who were opposed to Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Uh, over the course of the week, through concessions and deal making uh, by Kevin McCarthy and promises made uh, to 
these uh, th these people who were opposed to his speakership, uh, that number got whittled down to the final six on the Friday night vote uh, vote uh, fourteen, where uh, they believed they had agreement, and then, as I said earlier, uh, Matt Gates uh, reneged and threw the math off and. Um, that led to some, some rather testy moments on the floor, in, including a near altercation between two congressmen. Uh, and you know what we, what we see is a Republican Party that wants to move forward and, and govern with uh, things along uh, with its political strategies, uh, but still needs to first uh, heal the the gaps and fissures in their party and create a more unified body contrast that with uh the democrats and while i'm not saying that the democrats you know don't have their issues of you know fractions and and divisions within the party when when it's necessary uh they will unify together uh, much more readily than what we've seen the Republicans do even before you take last week into account. Um, it, it has been clear that you know through the, the Trump era and post-Trump era, uh, many of the conservative, and by conservative I mean more traditionally conservative Republicans, um, have distanced themselves from their more radical and um, um, non-traditional uh, brethren and sistren, uh, and this has created uh, difficulties for the Republicans to provide a a uniform uh, face for their constituents. The 2020 midterms uh, showed that those uh, members at you know for uh, House and Senate, as well as the the local the governors and secretaries of state who were, you know, vocal election deniers and believers in, you know, Donald Trump's big lie and, and all of that, uh, lost all of them, you know, and, and it, it was a, a graphic illustration of the loss of influence of Donald Trump over the Republican. And I use that in an umbrella sense word, um, and, you know, brings us to where, where we are right now, where, you know, it, it is highly likely that, you know, should Donald Trump uh, begin to campaign actively for the 2024 uh, election, uh, a lot of the odds makers have it that he will not be successful in, in getting past the primary. Um, so it remains to be seen. But it clearly points that, you know, there is a unity problem within the Republican Party that they are going to need to address and uh, find some way to heal uh, in fairly short order. And, you know, in, in my opinion, I don't believe that Kevin McCarthy is the deal maker who's going to be able to get that done. Uh, not the least of which is that he comes into his speakership role severely weakened by his own hand in terms of what he has uh, given away 
you know, the keys to the kingdom that he has passed around uh, and empowered uh, these these bratty children in, you know, in, in the forms of the the Gateses and the Boberts and the, the Greens and, and so forth. Um, they are now feeling very empowered. They stopped the, um, quote, peaceful transition uh, of electing a speaker a process that over 100 years has only taken one ballot, they ran this out to 15 ballots. And, you know, basically they did that. And they they are looking at that and realizing that they have a, a, a much greater impact and authority that perhaps even they thought they had. You know, I, as I said, I watched the 14th ballot and then I watched the 15th ballot and, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert uh, were, you know, besides themselves. They were almost giddy with what their actions were doing in, in grinding this process to a halt and having someone who is going to become, uh, you know, under the Constitution the second in line to the presidency after the vice president, uh, stopping that individual dead in his tracks uh, in order to deal with this madness. So, you know, it, it, it's, as I said, uh, we are most likely going to see a, a amount of gridlock and indecisiveness from the House of Representatives, the likes of which we have not seen in 30 years. Uh, and I just believe that, you know, the, the, the extreme right wing of the Republican Party uh, is not going to let this power go easily, if at all. So we will, we will see what transpires. Um, obviously, this has been a sea change in terms of American politics. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. So, all right, I, I want to end uh, this segment and and kind of give you um, some more thoughts and my opinions on you know what's going to transpire over the next two years. So I, I've already talked about the the fact that with this fractious Republican Party. Uh, the ability of the House of Representatives to get things accomplished uh, is going to be very much an uphill struggle. Um, Democrats uh, are, are looking at this as a unifying opportunity for their party uh, in that, you know, the, the, the process uh, that they will follow will be to, you know, do what they can do uh, to be the minority party and, you know, exercise the, the voice that the minority party is given under our uh, constitutional system of government. And, you know, they are going to be uh, speaking, you know, to the Republican side uh, from hopefully the, the voice of reason and the concern for the American people. Uh, and, and by the way, Republicans talk about that they are concerned uh, and that their their sole purpose is to serve the American people. Those are the words. The actions that they take uh, don't often match up with those words. 
Uh, they, they support and put forward legislation that clearly vast majorities of the American public, not just the Republican public, but the American public, disagree with and don't want to happen. Uh, so when, when Republicans, uh, particularly those of the extreme right, when they stand up and talk about that they are doing these things on behalf of the American people, um, kind of look at that side eye because they do not have a record that shows that this is actually what they truly believe when, when the day is done and when the cameras are off. Um, but anyway, getting back to what I was saying, um, what, we, what we will likely see uh, over the course of the two years of the 118th Congress is we will see uh, some epic battles between Democrats and Republicans uh, over key elements of governing this country, uh, including fiscal elements, health care, um, you know, the, the environment. Uh, we haven't even touched the surface about climate change and, and how uh, many of the Republicans in general and these, these extreme right-wing uh, Republicans think about climate change. Uh, these battles are going to be even more protracted and contentious than we have seen in you know, just the, the two years of the 117th Congress and then going back over the, the four years of the Trump presidency. And you know, we are uh, in for a battle in terms of how the laws in this country are written to address uh, the climate issues. Um, women's health and women's reproductive rights, they are still on the table. Uh, even as you know, the states may move to uh, expand access or you know, mitigate the reversals, uh, the Congress under Republican leadership is looking at bolstering the the uh, uh, objections to uh, provision of women's health and, you know, even as I, I said earlier, uh, adding some more features to, you know, the, the bans on abortion, including trying to make it a nationwide ban. Uh, so we are going to see some contentious battles over that front. Then there's the, the budget items, um, the, debt, the debt limit, the deficit, and the overall uh, government budget, which will come due in October. Now, the debt ceiling and um, deficit limits will come will come under view in the spring. So, again, my opinion, we can expect to see some very heated and extended battles uh, in the House of Representatives uh, in, into the summer and even as as much as into the early fall. Uh, this year. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, and, and again, to those of you who are the voters, the electorate out there, realize that these are things that regardless of what the Democrats and the Republicans think about each other, these things must get done. Or, you know, there is, is not just, you know, American consequences. These are going to be global consequences. Uh, we will you know, if we default on our credit, 
the ripples from that will not just uh, create a recession in the U.S., it could actually lead to a global depression. Uh, the, the economies of the world, uh, for the most part, especially the economies of the, quote, free, close quote, countries of the world, are strongly tied to the American dollar and the American financial system. And if, if that uh, suffers, then the world economy will suffer. Uh, and, you know, obviously that's going to play a role in our relationships around the world. Uh, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot that if you start drawing lines uh, away from that, you know, it, it, it's going to impact our trade positions around the world. It's going to empower China. Uh, it's, it's going to empower other uh, economic powers, you know, Germany, France, the EU, all of these countries are going to be looking to take advantage of the, the weak moment that America is in to strengthen their global positions and make it even more difficult for us to reassume our leadership role in the global economy. So, you know, there, there is a lot riding on what this Congress can get done. Uh, and if they are going to spend their time bickering back and forth over, you know, MAGA issues and Trump issues and, and all of this, you know, fall the raw, then, you know, we are going to lose our leadership role in the world uh, as an economic power. And that could be critical. Uh, and it will be critical. Make no mistakes about it. Um, you know, we still have the issues and the Republicans are very much uh, attuned to the, the monies being spent in support of Ukraine. And, you know, it, it, this is a carryover of the prior administration, uh, but it is also something that the current Republican leadership uh, has been very vocal about over uh, the last two years, uh, or, or last year since the, the conflict has started. Um, so there's just so much that, America and the United States uh, is tied into that extends well beyond our borders uh, that is within what this Congress, uh, what this House of Representatives and what this Senate uh, needs to accomplish, uh, that it, it, it's clear that it, it is uh, less than likely that left to its own devices, uh, the Republican majority uh, is going to pick up these the mantle of this leadership role, you know, in the world, and carry it of their own volition. We are going to need, and and by we I mean you and me and the other, you know, 200 million people that vote uh, at, at all levels. We are going to need to make sure that we let these these Congress people know that. You know, two years is not that long a time. And if they don't do what needs to be done, what we've sent them there to do, then in two years time, in, in 2024, not only will we be looking at electing a president, we will be looking hopefully at doing some deep house cleaning in terms of the House of Representatives and or the Senate uh, if, you know, these their actions 
create more pain and suffering, not just for the world, but in particular for the United States here locally. Um, you know, there are trade issues that need to be addressed. There are you know, uh, climate issues. There are energy issues uh, that need to be dealt with. Uh, there are human rights issues, both here and abroad, that America needs to stand up as the leader on. So there's a lot riding on what the new speaker of the House uh, is going to do. And it is my hope that he is not going to spend that time merely uh, trying to appease the, the radical arm of you know, his party. But we will see. You know, as always, we here at Fired Up, we stand uh, among those that keep watch on what our government is doing. Uh, is my role to bring you information on how our political system uh, is functioning or is dysfunctioning, as the case may be. So we will continue to do that. I appreciate everybody uh, joining for t- you know, today's podcast. Thank you all for, for taking the time. If you have questions or comments, you know, give me your thoughts. Send an email, firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to reading the comments I get and um, also to uh, check out our, uh, our Facebook page at Fired Up Radio on Facebook.com. Uh, there we will be posting more and more information you know, as we move through the new year. Uh, as I said in the last episode, I'm making some substantive changes into how this platform operates, and I invite you to give me your thoughts and feedback. Everybody, please stay safe, take care, stay informed, uh, make sure that you are protecting yourselves, your loved ones, and your community. And I look forward to the opportunity to speak with you again in seven days.